Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mango Gold's Plugged In Podcast, where we break down current developments in environmental law in 10 minutes or less. Today, we're joined by my partner, Jonathan Spurgle, to talk about what is arguably the hottest acronym in all of environmental law right now, and that is PFAS. The past few, few months have been incredibly active when it comes to PFAS regulatory efforts. At the federal level, we've seen EPA update interim health advisories for PFOA and PFOS and propose to formally designate both as hazardous substances under CERCLA. At the state level, there are ongoing efforts across the country to regulate PFAS in drinking water and to track down potential sources in the environment. While there are endless news articles and blog posts discussing these developments, over the next eight to 10 minutes, I wanna focus on an often overlooked PFAS-related issue, environmental insurance, one of Jonathan's key areas of practice. With many worried, and understandably so, about the financial ramifications of PFAS regulation moving forward, there is no better time to pause and think about whether there may be insurance money available to help soften the blow. So with that, let me welcome Jonathan and let's jump right in. Hello, Kate. Uh, yeah, so I don't know if you want to talk about the history of insurance coverage for just environmental issues? Yeah, let's let's do that. For those who really aren't familiar with the space, maybe if you can just give a couple minute overview of the evolution of coverage for, for pollution incidents, that would be really helpful. Sure. So initially, coverage pollution inc- for pollution incidents were provided through general liability policies. Uh, and so general liability policies provide coverage for property damage, and it's been widely established that groundwater contamination qualifies as property damage really in all jurisdictions. Uh, General liability policies are what they call occurrence-based policies. So the incident that gives rise to a future claim is what counts. When did that occur? Was there a policy in place that would provide coverage at the time that occurred? There's really a few key dates to evaluate whether there's potential coverage for pollution incidents under general liability policies. The first date is 1973. So before 1973, there was no pollution exclusion uh, endorsement for general liability policies. So if there was an occurrence pre-1973 of a pollution incident, uh, you could have coverage under that historic policy. In 1973, the insurance industry added an exclusion, what they refer to as the sudden and accidental exclusion. Uh, it, it's, that is provides a an exclusion from coverage uh, that varies depending on what jurisdiction you're in. So, for example, in California and New York, courts have interpreted sudden and accidental as a boom or explosion kind of incident that would give rise to contamination or pollution incident. Other states uh, have more inclusive interpretation. So, for example, New Jersey has interpreted that sudden and accidental really to mean uh, unintended, unexpected kind of event. Uh, So you still could have coverage an accident exclusion, depending on where you're located. Then in 1986, the insurance industry did away with sudden accidental. They included a total pollution exclusion under general liability policies. And that was the state of the world until early 1990s. And then the industry developed a standalone pollution policy. And that there have been standalone pollution policies that really have been available until the present day. And there's dozens of companies that offer these pollution policies. Uh, they're often referred to as pollution legal liability or PLL policies. And as opposed to general liability policies, they're claims made. So the claim has to occur during that policy term. 
And these policies cover cleanup costs. It could be government mandate costs or first-party discovered costs, uh, as well as third-party claims, bodily injury, property damage claims relating to a pollution condition. Um, and depending on the policy, they could also provide business interruption as well as coverage for uh, what they call non-owned disposal sites. So if uh, materials were sent to an off-site location that resulted in liability, they could provide coverage for that as well. Great. That's a that's a great overview, Jonathan. Let, let's drill down, I guess, for a moment now just on PFAS specifically. Is it even worth looking for old insurance policies to see if there is coverage for PFAS? And if so, how far back should companies go? Yes, absolutely. So sort of using that overview that I just gave, uh, the first question is, what's the earliest possible date that a location could have potentially had PFAS contamination? Uh, and if you're not sure, you know, sort of view it in a conservative fashion. But really, you should look and evaluate if there is the possibility that there were releases or pollution incidents pre-1973, and there is a general liability, a historic, historic policy that's in place, absolutely worth putting them on notice. Similarly, even between that 1973 and 1986 time period, still worth putting those companies on notice. And obviously, if there's a newer uh, PLL pollution liability policy in place, there may be coverage for, for PFAS incidents as well. So it's absolutely worth looking for what policies exist. Okay, so just one one quick follow-up on the newer policies. So so my understanding is that for the past several years, insurance companies have started to wise up and they're including PFAS among their standard exclusions. So is it worth really looking for policies that have been issued over the past five, 10 years, let's say? Yeah, so these PLL policies, so first of all, in general, for since their inception, these policies, the longest term that you could get for these policies is 10 years uh, for historic conditions. And sometimes you could get 10 years for what they call new conditions, uh, but typically those only go out five years. So you are correct. I would say in the past, definitely in the past two years, I have never seen a quote from an insurance company for a PLL coverage that did not have a total PFAS exclusion. That being said, if you go back longer than two years ago, they may not have PFAS exclusions. And definitely if you're going back eight to 10 years. So if you have a PLL policy that is still in effect that was procured eight to 10 years ago, or it's coming to the end of its term, it almost certainly did not have a PFAS exclusion. Great. All right. So let's say a company finds a policy that provides pollution coverage. Let's say it's from 2015 yep. and it doesn't on its face exclude PFAS. Are there certain provisions that the company should still really zero in on to try to quickly assess? Do I have a viable claim for coverage or not? Yes. So the, the, these PLL policies are heavily underwritten. And there's a lot of negotiation that often goes on, goes in in these discussions about what endorsements, what exclusionary endorsements exist. Common exclusions in these policies, not all of them, but common are what they call a voluntary investigation exclusion. So that if you go out and look for it and find it, you're now excluded from coverage. So that's an important provision to evaluate. Does your policy have a voluntary investigation exclusion? Similarly, a number of these policies will have uh, government mandate trigger endorsements, meaning that you can't trigger coverage yourself, first party coverage. There needs to be a government claim or a government directive um, seeking investigation or activity for the policy coverage to be triggered. Uh, what we're seeing when I, recently, when I say that recently in the past five years, um, especially for redevelopment sites, are what they call capital improvement exclusions. 
So again, if you're if you find a condition uh, as part of redevelopment activities, policies have broad exclusions from coverage. And then just in general, and this goes for any insurance policy, it's very important to review the notice provisions. So is there any uh, ability for the insurance company to argue that there was some kind of uh, untimely notice that may void coverage? Okay. Uh, well, it looks like we're getting near 10 minutes. Any final thoughts, Jonathan, that you can offer to our listeners today? Uh, yeah. So especially with these older PLL policies that may be in effect, uh, it, it's really important to evaluate the, is there, if there is no voluntary investigation exclusion and your property or business is, is in a location that is in the target for some reason by regulators, it's really worth evaluating whether there's the ability to go undertake an investigation now, given the time sensitivity, and trigger coverage under a policy. In addition, if there's a property transaction that's planned in the near future, it's very possible that a prospective purchaser, given the regulatory sensitivity, may want to investigate for PFAS. So you should evaluate whether there's coverage under those policies as well. It's really, it's really now is the time because those 10-year policies that have, didn't have exclusions, they're coming, coming to an end. So it's a limited window of opportunity. Jonathan, thank you so much for your insights, and thank you all for staying plugged in. Be sure to tune in to our next episode. Share our podcast with your friends and colleagues. Be sure to visit our website at www.mangogold.com for additional news and alerts and to join our mailing list.